Hello, my friend. Welcome to episode 11 of the Jet Movement Podcast. I'm Jeremy Hirschkorn, owner and lead instructor at Jet Movement Academy in Bellingham, Washington. Before we start with today's topics, as always, I want to thank you for listening and ask that if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a rating and or a review and be sure to like and share on whatever platform you find us on. That goes a huge way in helping us reach more people and give more value. So today's topic is Tommy John, Tommy John surgery. Um, so hot take, hot take alert. Uh, number one, I believe this is my personal opinion that the rise in elbow injuries in baseball has little to nothing to do with actually throwing. Okay. So hear me out on this. I think that Throwing obviously can cause damage, but I think that the reason why there's been a rise in the amount of times this is happening is not because of throwing. Because if you look at it over the last, I don't know, at least a decade or maybe more, um, we've been having kids throw less. We've been more conscious of how much they're throwing. We've got pitch limits. We've got inning limits. Um, Word is spread that you shouldn't throw a curveball when you're young. Um, so there's all these, you know, adjustments being made, uh, to throwing. Okay. We've gotten better at teaching mechanics. We've got slow, you know, slow motion cameras. We've got pitching gurus. We've got weighted ball programs. We've got all of these things that are aimed at throwing specifically. So why does this continue to happen? Okay. I believe that throwing is just like the straw that breaks the camel's back. There's a, our, our tissue um, in our elbow is having problems and then throwing basically just pushes it over the edge. So the root of the problem is not the throwing itself because if it was, I feel like the adjustments we've made, especially in the last decade, um, would have had a lot more success in solving that problem. So... What's the problem then? What is, what's the issue? So I think personally, this is what I've been getting into is I think that the problem is the habits and daily practices of the players outside of their training or their, or, or playing in their games. Okay. So, um, it's not so much to do with are they playing multiple sports or are they just playing baseball? I think that that has something to do with it. We can talk about that as well. Um, but I think it's more about what they're doing outside of sports in general. So, you know, when you're in sports, um, you're training, you're doing, um, hopefully you're doing, you know, strength training and mobility work and you're doing recovery and you're doing all these really, really good things for your body. But that is for a small chunk of your day. And in some cases, a small chunk of your year. If you're a one sport athlete, you probably have preseason workouts and then whatever you do in season and then the rest of the year, um, you might not be doing anything really specific to train. You're more likely to be uh, an active person if you, if you do play a sport, but that's not always the case. Um, so, so what I, what I think it is, is, is the habits that we're having off the field. So I want to throw out, um, this is, this is a correlation that I've seen, um, that I think might have something to do with it. And at first, this is going to sound like an old man, you know, telling you to get off his lawn. But if you look at 
when there was a big decline in the amount of innings pitched at the major league level, when there started to be this shift towards, and there's tons of different aspects to this, so we can dig into it really deep if we wanted to, but this is a correlation that I'm going to get into that I think affects um, lower level players that has reached uh, the, the big leagues. So you look at the decline in innings pitched, starts to happen around 1980. So 1980 was actually the last year that the major leagues had any pitcher go over 300 innings pitched, okay? So it's been over 40 years since we've had a single pitcher, okay? Not one pitcher go over 300 innings pitched in a season, okay? So the innings is down. Um, there's been a steep decline. In the last 10 years, there's, there hasn't been anybody to go over 250. So that's a, that's a even huger difference, okay? If you go back 20 years, you start to get some 260s, 270s. Kurt Schilling, um, you know, 15 or 16 years ago, uh, had like a 260-something. I can't remember. I was looking at the stats. Um, but you go back past 1980, and you start to see almost every single season – you know, there was somebody pushing 300 or over 300. Um, it, was a, it was a far more popular thing. So I just thought that was an interesting thing to bring up. So what was going on culturally in the 1980s that I think translates to uh, a decline in, in innings pitched? It's a far-fetched thing, but I'm going to flesh this out. 1980, in the 80s, we started to see video games being played, being created. Um, and it was slow at first. You're, I, I'm not saying that Pong was the the start of the collapse of the pitching elbow, but there's something there. There's something to be said about technology started to take off um, through the 80s a little bit slowly, and then it started to really ramp up through the 90s and then the early 2000s. It's been crazy, the advances. We have a new version of the iPhone out it seems like every couple months we've got crazy advancements in video games, online and consoles. Um, the, f the phone that you have in the palm of your hand is incredible. Like all of these amazing advancements in technology have drawn our attention and, and drawn, you know, so much of our time into using those things. And that is where I think a big chunk of this problem is, is happening. It's not the devices themselves that are causing a detriment, it is the amount of time and focus that we're spending with them that is causing the problems. So the root of it is the the durability and, and the reliability and the efficiency of the tissues of our body. Efficiency is the name of the game when it comes to throwing. That will always be a huge part of throwing mechanics and pitching mechanics. That's never gonna go away. There are some slight differences from player to player, but overall there's a pretty solid blueprint in place right now for what you want your mechanics to look like to be um, efficient. So we're seeing a crazy jumps in velocity in terms of just the density of players throwing at a super high velocity. It's, it's amazing. You know, if you if you go back to the 90s, not a lot of dudes were throwing over 100 miles an hour. It was a pretty rare thing. And now it's like every team in the league has got at least a guy. And then if you go down into the minor leagues, there's actually more that just are throwing it off the barn wall, right? So 
there's these crazy advancements in velocity. So we're figuring out how to train for velocity, but we're not figuring out how to train for endurance and longevity and reliability. And this goes back to an idea that I spoke about in one of my previous podcasts about um, training for longevity and the fact that at the major league level, they just don't really seem to care about having you last that long, which is crazy to me because they're investing so much money in players. Um, but it's gotten to the point where they're investing all this money in hopes that they have a great product for, for, for five years and then they're moving on. They constantly can just recycle, you know, these players that have done it for a while and they start to get old. They would way rather take a chance on a young guy um, rather than see how long you can go. So it's it's becoming more and more rare to see a team stay with the same player for a, over a decade um, or for a player to even last in the league for, for, for 10 years. So when it comes to the training focus, um, and this starts at such a young age, what stands out and gets you noticed is velocity. Um, how nasty is your stuff? You know, how hard can you throw? It's what gets you noticed. So if you're able to throw 70 plus miles an hour at 12 years old, you're going to get noticed and then you're going to get the attention and you're going to get groomed to keep playing at the next level. Um, And then, you know, as you start to get into the 14 range, it's 80 miles an hour. And then when you get into high school, it's starting to push 90. And then when you get into college, you're you're getting into the mid 90s. And these things are a surefire way to get you noticed. So it's, it makes sense that we're training these athletes for that cause and that purpose because it gets noticed, right? If I'm a trainer and I take a guy from 82 to 90 in his high school years and going into college, I'm going to get noticed as a trainer. So we start to focus on these things that are going to gather attention and, and advance our careers. So it's, it's partially the fault of us as the coaches and trainers because we know those things get noticed. And then obviously it affects the game, right? We have a better chance of winning if we got a bunch of hard throwers with nasty stuff. It's the way it is. It's the the nature of the beast. So we focus on these things to get us noticed. But as a coach, you know, depending on what level I'm at, I'm going to have a new batch of kids every four years anyways. If I'm a high school coach, I'm going to have a completely new roster every four years. College coach, same thing. If I'm a, if I'm a CC I'm going to have a new roster every two years or three years. So it's a quick turnover. So unless we actually care about the longevity of these players and their life and their quality of life, it's easy to get short-sighted and and try to take players from A to B super fast. And I think that that's a complete um, detriment to the individual. So if you're listening to this and you're a coach or a trainer, I don't blame you. That's your job. That's what you're getting paid to do. That's the focus of what you're doing. That's how you advance your career. But if I'm listening to this as a player, I need to think about what's going to be best for me and what's going to move me along. Okay. And so that brings me to ultimately what I think we should be doing as a player or as a coach that, that really has, you know, cares about the longevity of the player. What we need to be focusing on is the actual human tissue the the biology of the individual okay so i'm gonna attach with this episode um on facebook or instagram i'm gonna attach um some uh some graphics of 
to kind of help uh, illustrate what I'm talking about. But I'm looking at throwing health um, as a pyramid. I like to always kind of put these things into pyramids and set up what it, what's the foundational level and then what's the peak, what's the ultimate goal. So if you're looking at, for me, um, to avoid Tommy John surgery specifically, we're talking UCL tear in our throwing elbow. If you're looking to avoid this, then the foundation of that is going to be the tissues of your body. That's the foundation. If you have faults in your tissue, your mechanics don't matter. Your strength and mobility do not matter. You can't have flaws in your tissue and expect to put that kind of strain on your body that comes along with velocity and innings and, and pitch totals uh, and off-speed pitches and all this different stuff and stressful situations. Your tissue is eventually going to falter and it's eventually going to falter anyway. One of the greatest pitchers that's an example of longevity is Nolan Ryan. And what did he do on his last pitch? He blew out his arm. So it's inevitable that it's going to happen. The goal is to push it down the road as far as possible and to get the most out of every one of those pitches as we possibly can. So how do we do that? We focus on the tissue. I'm going to get more into what, what that means okay, um, in a second. But the second tier above the tissue would be the alignment of those tissues, the alignment of the body, the posture that, that falls underneath that, okay? the, the, the joint capabilities of that individual. Okay? Next up is that's when we start to look at their strength and their, and their mobility. What's their efficiency look like? How strong are those tissues, right? How strong is the individual? Can they, can they move weight? Can they move it fast? Um, can they move fast without weight? Um, can they be explosive? Um, those kind of things. And then at the very, very peak of that would then be mechanics and, and the actual overall performance. And this kind of goes in line with another idea that I've, I've talked about a lot over the last five or so years about um, what I see as, a, as an instructor. So I worked at a baseball facility for 14 years and I did one-on-one um, -on -one, uh, lessons with throwers, hitters, fielders, all kinds of different um, goals. I did that for a majority of those 14 years. I coached um, in a, in a uh, select program. We did you know, 10 youth through high school. I worked with some colleges and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that I kept coming back to that I just repeatedly would notice is that the, the potency of the lesson or the instruction relied very heavily on the athleticism of the individual. So if our drills and our instruction was purely mechanical, but the individual wasn't very athletic, it didn't matter what I said. Those adjustments were not getting made. Um, because it came back to the actual mobility and strength and speed and coordination of the individual. So, um, and that's at any level, you know, there's a, there's a cap to that. So if you're not focused on your individual athleticism, then the mechanics and the performance aspect aren't going to fall into place. So we have to kind of backtrack, okay, well, I don't have very good strength or mobility, so I'm going to need to take care of that before I can take care of my mechanics. But my posture is brutal, so I need to go and take care of that before I, I go with the strength and mobility. And then, oh man, I can't really adjust my posture and, and get my body into the right positions that I want because my tissue is restrictive or you know it's, it's lax or there's over tightness um, and those kind of things. So 
at the base of this, it's going to keep coming back to um, the, the tissues of the body and how, how well they are, how well that structure is doing and how well they're, they're, how healthy they are basically. So, you know, you're looking at hydration, you're looking at nutrition, um, you're looking at stress, um, you're looking at the mental health of the individual. Um, all of these things can kind of play into it. So it starts to become this overwhelming, overwhelming mound of stuff that you have to look at as a coach if you really want to get to the root of getting a person better. And if you don't have that time or the resources or the energy to do all that, then yeah, you're just going to push the mechanics and the strength probably. Um, and you're just going to push that kid into those things as far as they can go. And then if you get the result you want, then you got it. If not, then so what? We move on to the next kid. And I know that there's there's probably not a lot of coaches that are actually thinking that way. Okay, their, their goal is not to just blow you out and, and move on to the next kid. We don't coach for that reason. We coach because we love the game and we do care about people. Um, but it's hard to do all the things that we need to do. So on a daily basis, we have to make those decisions. Are we going to focus on this today or are we going to focus on that today? Um, and so things get left in the dust. So um, a couple places that I am currently looking um, to create kind of a anti-Tommy John protocol uh, is what I, is what I kind of want to call it. Um, what I'm trying to do there um, is to go through that pyramid and kind of do it that way. Um, so the quickest version to kind of get you on track, um, you know, the, the protocol that I would use in the gym um, is um, to look into what's called anatomy trains, first of all. Um, if you don't know what anatomy trains are, I, I strongly recommend that you go Google Thomas Myers anatomy trains and dive in, okay? Anatomy trains are basically mapping how groups of tissue and areas of tissue work together throughout the body to create motion. So you're starting to get into anatomy physiology, you're starting to get into physics, um, but if you really want to keep your body healthy and throw at a high level and, and move on, you're gonna need to learn these things. That is why I have so much respect for guys like Trevor Bauer and Josh Donaldson because they are scientists about what they're doing. Um, Trevor Bauer was highly recruited out of college, came into the league and, and, and kind of um, had a little bit of a slow start, not compared to most people's um, peaks, really. He actually did just fine in terms of like getting into where he is now, um, but he was just expected probably to do that a little bit faster, but... Anyways, he he really is a master at testing and adjusting. And so I have a lot of respect for those guys because they are willing to dive into it and get scientific. And you know that at some point they're going to be coaches because they just have that, that you know, drive to really pick everything apart. So looking at um, the anatomy trains is a huge advantage for understanding your body and how it moves. And I would highly recommend going in there. That's that has propelled my training and what we do at the gym uh, to another level as soon as I started digging into that. And I'm still learning from that, you know, over two years later. So there's lots to unpack there. So once we get into that, then we're going to have to start looking at this idea of hydrating tissue. Um, our bodies are made of a lot of water. And as you stress those tissues or as those tissues age, basically, 
um, they become less and less hydrated. So it's mandatory that we hydrate our tissue. And that doesn't mean that I just drink a lot of water every day. That has a lot to do with your movement and um, what kind of manual therapy you're doing um, to drive hydration into you know, the proper aspects of your body. So myofascial release um, is a great way uh, to do that. That's something that we've been doing at the gym a lot and I'm trying to learn more about and advance myself in that. Um, you know, and then you're gonna look into your mobility um, and then your strength. So um, those, are, those are big areas to kind of take yourself to the next level. Um, because yeah, it, you know, ultimately it's just going to be, it's gonna be about your structure, your tissue, your posture, your strength and flexibility. Are those things gonna allow you uh, to move with high intensity in a way that doesn't hurt you, okay? Um, and another, another crazy idea that I, I, I was, I, I can't remember what I was watching, but um, it, it made me go, huh, that's an interesting concept, um, is this idea of our recovery. So we've become like ridiculous, ridiculously focused on, on recovery, which there's a good and a bad to that. So the good about that is we are trying to keep our tissue healthy after we stress it and, and get into this mode of like, um, what do we do after we throw? Do we ice? Do we heat? Do we run? You know, the debates go on and on. So we've kind of dove into that. And, you know, we have the myofascial release. We have massage. We got the Theraguns, you know, like the massage guns and all that kind of stuff. Um, so those have kind of become standard normal practices. But the problem with that is, is that is our response to that, to these immediate pains that we're getting from throwing or other things. So I'm going to stick to throwing on this, but if I'm feeling a pain, um, either while I throw or after I throw or the next day, we are becoming very reactionary in terms to how do I just get the pain to go away? So then we start to ice or we heat or we try to run and get our blood flowing or we do some light weighted um, strength movements um, or we do the myofascial release, the foam rolling, the, the massage gun. We start to go into all that stuff. The, the issue that I have with that is those things do not address the problem, which is what caused those things to be painful. If it was strictly just, you know, stressing it, you know, overworking it, you know, uh, or not even overworking it, but just, you know, when you fatigue the muscles and the tissue to a certain extent, there's going to be some residual soreness. So if that's it, then that's, you know, that's normal. That's totally fine. That can be advanced with those forms of recovery therapy. And that's where we want to be. But if there's this, if we start to get into these higher levels of pain, um, pain is our body's way of saying hey, pay attention to this, you know? So it's usually meaning that there's some kind of damage here or there's potential for damage or injury. It's our body's way of communicating with us that something's going on. So we need to listen to those pain responses and use them to our advantage. So you have to start to be able to gauge your levels of pain. Um, there's a huge difference between, you know, hurt and injured. And we talk about that in sports all the time. The younger you are, the harder it is to understand that because if you haven't ever been injured, then everything that's painful feels it's the worst pain you've ever experienced. It, it might not be that bad. 
And as you get older and you start to have more of these situations where pain occurs, you start to be able to gauge, oh, it's not a big deal. I can push through this. I can recover from this or wow, this really needs some attention. Um, so we need to be able to take the pain that we feel and figure out why it's there and, and what we need to do about it. Because if it's reoccurring and it's the same kind of pain, then we need to make an adjustment in what we're doing. We can't just massage it away and then go on with our business. We need to address what is causing that pain. If we're doing things with our body absolutely perfectly, then there is no pain. There is no physical pain. Um, it's just really, really hard to get yourself to a level where you're doing things completely perfect because that would mean that you're moving perfectly throughout your entire life and your whole lifestyle. And that's extremely difficult to do, but that's ultimately what's going on there. Um, and that brings me to my last, um, my last idea on this topic, um, is our daily habits. And this kind of ties back to, um, the video game idea and why I brought that up in the first place. Um, when you look at the amount of time you spend on training practice and recovery it's actually a very very small chunk of your day so if you're looking at it as let's use a high school student athlete as an example um when it's season when you're in season like right now um you have to practice five days a week so monday through friday possibly saturday you're practicing let's say those are two to three hours um, of practice. Um, there were times when we would practice for four hours or more or a Saturday practice. We might even get into a five or six hour practice. But the basis of what I'm saying here is that that is a tiny chunk of your day. So if you're doing things perfectly while you're training, either weight room or the gym or on the field, if you're doing things absolutely perfectly there, that's still a small sliver of your day. Okay. Another big chunk of your day is spent asleep. What kind of things are happening to you while you sleep? Do you have a problem with sleeping on your side with your arm under your head? Um, do you sleep in external rotation of your, you know, your, your throwing shoulder? Different things like that are going to affect what's going on. And if you're spending more time in these bad habits than you are in your good habits, the bad habits are going to win. So if that means you know, the six to eight hours you're spending doing school and homework, your posture is in a crazy alignment that's not conducive to how you move on the field, then that's going to create a problem. You know, if you have a hunched over posture, then you go and try to throw and bring your shoulders back into retraction and rotate your body and do all these, you know, high level detail skill movements. It's not going to be, it's not going to result in something great. You're ultimately creating resistance within your own body that you're throwing and fielding and hitting mechanics are going to have to work against. So it comes down to your daily habits and what kind of movement patterns and things that you create while you're doing other stuff. You know, your posture and your, and your patterns are huge. So when it comes to our training, our training has to be very, very focused to try to reverse those bad habits so that when we're not playing and we're not training and we're not on the field, we're still doing good things with our body to help keep us from holding our arm back, okay? So uh, to kind of wrap this up and, and, and really focus it on, on Tommy John and the elbow and throwing specifically, um, what I'm doing is I'm creating 
a protocol or a program of um, myofascial release, mobility drills, and strength training that you need to be doing to check all those boxes, to make sure your tissue is dialed in, to make sure your alignment's dialed in, to make sure you're at a great strength level with good mobility um, so that you can focus on your mechanics, watch film, do drills, go to practice, and throw and feel good about it because we need to be throwing. If, if you're 16 years old and you have a limited throwing program, you have a pitch count, you have a, an innings limit, you have somebody restricting your amount of throws at practice. That is unbelievable to me that that needs to happen. That should not happen. When you're 16 years old, your body is in the absolute perfect situation to just throw for days. You should be able to just go long toss five days in a row. Okay, You should be able to do quick toss around the diamond and throw it around. You should be able to do all those things on a daily basis and recover really super well. So there's something wrong if you're not able to do that and you're having to limit what's going on and you're having to have um, surgery or you're having to have physical therapy or go to the chiropractor or, you know, those things should not be happening to a 16 year old. They happen because either we have bad habits on a daily basis that we're doing things that are ultimately a negative, um, or we have some kind of trauma going on, you know, and, and sometimes that trauma is out of our control. So if you're doing those things and you're 16, don't feel bad about it. It's just understand that that shouldn't just be accepted. You should be trying to make adjustments and figure out, you know, what can I do that can get to the root of this and help me correct it. Um, you know, I got dead arm when I was in high school. Uh, my elbow would hurt, my bicep would hurt, but it was a different kind of feeling and we would throw through it and we'd be fine, you know. Um, but that was because we were super active kids, you know. We, I personally was always playing catch, running around, climbing, you know, playing, you know, sandlot versions of, of every kind of sport I could get my hands on. And I didn't spend a tremendous amount of time um, sitting at a computer or with a phone. And we didn't even have cell phones then um, or, a, or a, an iPad or any of that stuff. You know, I could play Super Mario for about 30 minutes and I would be bored. So it was time to go do something else. So just understand, it's not that the video games and the and all that stuff is bad. It's that we are spending a ridiculous amount of time doing it. And it's holding our tissues in bad positions. Not necessarily that they're detrimental positions, but they are the opposite of the athletic positions we're trying to get into. And so our body is syncing itself up with those bad, those non-advantageous positions. And it's getting synced up with that, thinking that's what we want to be good at. And then we go and do a sport that we're actually trying to be good at. And our body is confused and saying, wait a minute, I spent all this time sitting and leaning forward watching this thing. Why are you now trying to stretch me in all these crazy directions and, and, and fire me up, right? So ultimately, it comes down to your time management and how focused you are on, on what things you're doing to improve your body so that you can go into those sports-specific skills. And this is where I think the... Uh, the multi-sport athlete thing comes from. You basically just, when you play multiple sports, it's not that they're, it's moving you in all these areas. It's just keeping you away from doing bad things or, or non-advantageous things. It's just, you have 
you're spending too much time at practice in, in the weight room and doing all this other stuff. You don't have time to go do all this other crap. So um, that's kind of my two cents on the idea. Um, I am going to be kind of honing in the specific protocol. So the myofascial release um, trigger points, um, the mobility drills to do, and then the strength drills that all are specifically designed for throwers. I'm going to be rounding out that program um, and I will be offering that um, definitely in personal training sessions, custom small groups, which is where you can choose who you want to be with, what time and, and what the goal is. Um, and then I, I'm hopefully going to be able to offer that in a workshop form. Um, I've been kind of struggling to find out what days and times are actually good for workshops. We haven't had the best attendance for those. So it might be better to um, just kind of plan for one-on-ones or, you know, two to three uh, athletes at a time. So that's coming up and that is available. You know, you can, you can schedule those whenever. Um, and yeah, that will be uh, on the radar. I, it's not the best time of year, obviously, to be trying to work on that stuff, um, but you can be doing that stuff in the season. Um, and definitely once the season's over, um, you want to start to dial in what kind of a strength and conditioning program you're going to get on how you're going to go about your off season and kind of scheduling out, you know, am I playing other sports? Am I doing other hobbies? What's school look like? All that stuff needs to be kind of dialed in. So um, when the timing's right, make you move. Okay. Until next time. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to like, share and review. And most importantly, we want your comments because we just want to chat. You know, I want to hear your feedback. Does it, is this stuff helpful? Um, what other stuff would you like to hear about? get opinions on that sort of thing because uh, we're just we're driven by the listener we want to hear what you have to say um so please be interactive you know be be a part of it uh, so my friend i wish you health and wellness many adventures and as always keep moving hum babe <laughs>